0: We're continuing our sermon series through the lectionary this summer, and today we'll be looking at Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, verses 23 through 29. That's found on page 947 in your pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along with me. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your Spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we do love you and we thank you for your love. Amen. So, again, Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse 23. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to the disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ, so there is no longer Jew or Greek, there's no longer slave or free, there's no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> so as I said to you earlier, today is Father's Day and my mind is on my own father. I'm very blessed to have a father who helps me grow in my own faith. In fact, when I was in college and in seminary, I would come back home and visit and usually my father would, uh, and I would find ourselves sitting across a table at a local Waffle House having some very deep conversations. Somehow when you order hash browns scattered, covered, and chunked, you just let things start to come out and you talk about them. My father liked to talk to me about faith, liked to talk to me about what he believed about Jesus and what he believed about heaven. And often he would say things to me, he had a very humble, has a very humble faith, and he would often say things to me like, Brad, I, I know I'm going to heaven, but I'm not as good of a Christian as your mother is. When we get to heaven, your mom's going to be sitting right up there in the front row, right next to the disciples. There's probably a place reserved for her right up front. Because, you know, after all, she's a much better Christian than I am. She prays every day. She sings in the church choir. She was an elder in the Presbyterian church, a a trustee. She's the reason that you have to go to church every Sunday morning. I, I'll i be in the room, don't get me wrong I know I'm going to heaven but I'll probably be sitting up in the balcony somewhere that's where my tickets will be or maybe I'll be sweeping the floors or serving coffee because I'm just not quite as good of a Christian as your mother is I'd always try to explain to him that that's not really our understanding of what heaven is like. There aren't really insiders and outsiders. The way the Bible says it is that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're all on the same page when it comes to heaven. There's Christ and there's the rest of us, but sometimes it's hard to convince him of that. And maybe it feels that way to a lot of the rest of us too. Because we live in a world where absolutely there are insiders And there are outsiders. We live in a world where our value, our worth, is conditional. It's measured by how we live our lives, how we perform at our jobs, how we perform at school. Our value and our worth is somehow conditional on the way we perform in front of other people. And so naturally, that might seem to transfer over to the church, that there must be insiders and outsiders here at the church as well. That there are people who belong and people who, well, they don't belong. Or they would belong if they would just do things the way we do those things. And that is nothing new in the church. It's been happening since the very beginning. Because we see this argument about insiders and outsiders in many of Paul's letters. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He talks about this a little bit in Philippians. In 1 Thessalonians and right here in the book of Galatians. He talks about what gives people worth, what what gives people value, what gives people their identity. The area of Galatia is kind of the modern day area of Turkey. And there were a lot of Christian churches in that area that were all influenced by the Apostle Paul. And Paul knew that there were all types of Christians within these churches. There were some Gentile Christians who didn't know a thing really about Jerusalem, probably had never even really knew anything about monotheism until they came into the church. It was all very foreign to them. But at the same time, there were Jewish Christians, people who, yes, believed in Jesus Christ, but they also knew the law. They had followed the law their entire life. It was the law that gives them meaning and purpose. It was the law that defined who they were. It was the law that gave them their identity. Things like following those purity laws, things like being circumcised, all those sorts of things that were so important to, to the Jewish people that helped them know who they were, the gift that God had given them, the roadmap to follow so that they knew who they were as God's people. All of these people were in the church together, and Paul taught them that we were called now to be united in Jesus Christ. But then when Paul left the church and went to found other churches all throughout the Mediterranean, those Jewish Christians, those Christians who knew the law and and liked the law, started to tell those Gentile Christians, you know what, you ought to start following the law too. This is really the right way. We don't like that new way that Paul was talking about. You should follow the way we do things. That law is important. That's how we know that you belong. That's how we know who your, what your identity is, that you belong here in our church if you follow the law the way we did. And so that's what Paul is addressing here when he writes to this church because it makes him angry to hear that there are certain Christians saying you need to do it my way, the way we did it before Jesus came, when you followed all of those purity laws, when you were circumcised like we were, when you could trace your family back to the original tribes of Jerusalem. You need to do it our way. And so he writes to the Galatians, now there is no longer Jew or Greek. Now there is no longer slave or free. Now there is no longer male and female, but all are united in Christ. Why in the world would those Jewish Christians not want to to be for things to change? Why in the world would those Jewish Christians want to keep things the way they were before faith, as Paul calls it? Well, it could be very well because, before faith, in that conditional world that they lived in, where their value and their identity was based on how well they followed the law, those Jewish Christians... We're doing it right. They had priority. They had a little upper standing above all those other people. They had a little bit of priority in the church. And so why would they want things to change if they were happy the way things were? If they had the honor and the the place and the status in the society and in the church that they wanted, why would they want it to change now where everybody was on the same playing field? They wouldn't want it to change, and that's what happens in the world around us today. We live in a world that we know is conditional. We live in a world that we know is not easy for other people, but if it's easy for me, why would I want it to change? Excuse me, I've had a frog in my throat for about a week. That reminds me of a little story, though. It's a story of a Presbyterian church I heard several years ago a church that was trying to reach out into the community and and bring other people in and they found this other this other evangelical this charismatic church that was a group of people who didn't have their own sanctuary and they said you know what we're going to reach out to them we're going to invite them in let them use our sanctuary on saturdays we'll continue to worship and be presbyterian on sundays but we'll generously offer offer our sanctuary to them and and be have a good relationship with our neighbors things seemed to go pretty well for about a week or so and then all of a sudden Those Presbyterians started to find flyers all over the community. Flyers from this charismatic church saying, come to our church and learn how you can change your ways. Come to our church and learn how you should repent for the kingdom of God is near. Come to our church and learn how you can avoid the fires of hell. Well, the Presbyterian elders got together and said, I don't think this is our theology. I don't think we should partner with this group and now we see these flyers and our address is on the bottom of these flyers and so the presbyterian pastor called the charismatic pastor and said i think we're going to have to ask you to no longer worship at our sanctuary we could no longer partner with you as you like but to his surprise the charismatic pastor said well that's okay to be honest with you it's hard for us to partner with a group of people who are so content with the way the world is. Now, as a Presbyterian pastor, I probably would have made that same phone call, told them, you can't worship here, we can't partner with you, but it also caused me to wonder, am I content with the way the world is? Am I content with the way I find value, I find meaning, I find worth? Am I content with where my identity comes from right now in this world. If so, that might mean that I might be ignoring those people in the world who are hurting or need help. Paul says there's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave nor free. There's no longer male and female. At this table that Christ presents for us, all of us have a place. And if you were, had priority under the law, guess what? You still have a place at this table. Your place cannot be removed from you. You still have a place at this table. But those Jewish Christians were worried because the way the world worked before, that's where they got their identity from. That's where they knew they belonged. They were happier when there were children and stepchildren. But Paul says no. No. We are all now children of God. The New Testament professor David Bartlett once told a story about some friends of his, some friends who had adopted several children, in fact. They had one biological son named Sam, but they had also decided to adopt four other children. One of those children was a a young man named Mark, one of those adopted sons, and when he grew up, he finally asked his parents to tell him what it meant to be adopted. Well, when it was age-appropriate, they finally told Mark, Mark, what it means to be adopted is that we prayed to God for you. We wanted another son. We wanted someone like you. We knew that God had ordained it. We knew that God would put us together. And when we met you, we knew that you were a part of our family and there was no one we could love just like you. Mark smiled so big. And then he looked over at his brother, Sam, and he said, I'm so glad I'm adopted. Don't you think we should adopt Sam too? But see, all of us are children of God. All of us are adopted into the family of faith. All of us have a place around this table because that's what it means after Christ comes. That's what it means because of Christ's faithfulness even to death on the cross. That's what it means because of Christ's faithfulness through resurrection, that Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, black or white, strange or normal, whatever that is, we all have a place at this table. And when that place is secure, when we know our place is secure, when we know that God has made a place for us, then our calling is not to get people to follow us, but to get people to follow Christ. When we know that our place at that table is secure, our calling is not to get people to be like us. Our calling is to get people to be like Christ, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Just yesterday, the General Assembly kicked off yesterday, and I was watching a sermon by Gregory Bentley, who is one of our former co-moderators. He preached a sermon called Religious to Righteous." He was talking about the difference between what it means to be religious and what it means to be righteous. And he said, religious people are people who follow rules, righteous people are people who follow Christ. Religious people are people who try to get people into church, righteous people are people who try to get church into people. Religious people are people who try to put themselves at the center of their faith to follow rules, righteous people are people who put Christ at the center of their life and follow him. Paul says there's no longer Jew or Greek, there's no longer slave or free, there's no longer male or female. We're all just called to be righteous because our identity now, once and for all, is in Jesus Christ. It is Christ who lives, and our identity is found in him. Or as the great preacher John Buchanan said, once I found Christ, it was no longer I who lived, but Christ who lived through me. Once Christ lives within us, once Christ lives through us, then we are called to do as Christ would do. To not worry about our place at the table, but if necessary give our place up for someone else. Because that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. Drawing that circle wide, forgiving those people who killed him, so that they might too have a place at the table, being willing to live selflessly, knowing that our identity and our worth and our value is secure, not in who we are, but who Christ is. I want to leave you with one final illustration. Some of you might know that tomorrow is World Refugee Day, and I'm very proud of the work that many of you all have been doing with refugees here in Tallahassee. I was reading a story about a refugee named Mahmoud Ibaldi. He had moved here. He was a Muslim and who moved his family here from from Kabul several years ago. He and his daughter and his wife had moved from a, a big, beautiful house filled with their family, parents, grandparents, and all sorts of people. They left all those people behind, left all their security, left all their possessions, left all everything behind to come and live here in the safety of this country. After leaving everything behind, they went and lived at military bases for several weeks as they were traveling back over here, sleeping in cots, eating ready-made meals that you all are uh, meals ready to eat. I think they're called MREs. Many of which, because of their Muslim faith, they couldn't eat because it can't contain pork and things like that. And as they traveled to the United States, they wondered: Is is that what it's going to be like over there? They finally arrived at their new home in Houston, Texas, and came to their little apartment, and when they opened the doors of the apartment, it was filled with furniture. The chest of drawers were filled with clothes. When they opened up the refrigerator, it was filled with food, but guess what? It was all food that they could eat, food called halal, which is sort of like the equivalent of of Jewish kosher. Food like basmati rice and, and lamb, things that was like a Thanksgiving meal to them. And what surprised him the most... Was that it was Christian churches who filled this apartment. And not only that, those same Christian churches were taking informational classes on what it meant to to celebrate Ramadan and what other Muslim traditions these people from Afghanistan might be observing. They were doing this all to make them feel welcome in their new home, to show them grace, to show them hospitality. To show them love. Now, there might be some people who would say, Oh, those Christians shouldn't be learning about Ramadan. They should be going to those Muslims and preaching Jesus. I would argue that's exactly what they were doing by showing them the grace of God, showing them the hospitality and the compassion of a group of people who say, Here you are safe, here you are welcome, here. You belong. Jesus Christ draws the circle wide for us. When Paul says there's no longer Jew or Greek, there's no longer slave or free, there's no longer male or female, he draws the circle wide and says, all of us are God's precious children, even if we might choose to draw Jesus out of our circle. As the great poet once said, Edwin Markham, he said, He drew a circle that shut me out, heretic, rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle that drew him back in. Christ drew a circle that draws all of us in. And he did it for one reason. So that we might draw others in too.